we have spent several weeks now studying God the Spirit, and today we want to talk about how the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives. God the Spirit converts us. He regenerates us. He gives us new life. He indwells us. And by doing so, he makes us God's people. He makes us one. And he continues then to do a work of transformation in each of our lives and in the body of Christ as a whole, in the church. By transformation, we mean that the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us undertakes our spiritual growth and our maturity. He works to make you holy, and he works to make me holy. Now, as I've mentioned before, the New Testament sometimes calls this work of making you holy sanctification, making you holy, setting you apart. I use the word transformation because the New Testament also uses the word sanctification to talk about something that the Holy Spirit has already accomplished, something that he does by setting us apart to God from the very beginning. When we first become Christians, he sanctifies us. But there is a process of sanctification and that's what I'm calling here transformation. And we know that the Lord calls us to be sanctified, to go through this process of becoming holy. And we know that the Holy Spirit has a role in that because of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then Paul spends a couple of verses talking specifically about sexual immorality. He continues then in verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So to reject these warnings against sexual immorality is to disregard God's will that you be sanctified, that you be holy, that you walk in holiness to please God. And really, it is to treat with contempt the Holy Spirit whom God has given us, who lives in us and is at work in our lives to make us holy. Now, the Holy Spirit transforms us then in a number of ways. So let me pray for us and then we'll do our best to synthesize what the Bible has to say about this magnanimous work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we come to you today and ask for your blessing on this study. Help us to grasp with all of our hearts how it is that you have called us to holiness, to, to pursue godliness, and how you, Holy Spirit, are at work in us in this process. You are doing a work of renovation in each of our lives. In your name we ask this. Amen. Now, all of these passages we're going to look at this morning could easily constitute sermons in and of themselves, okay? But we're taking an expansive look. We're looking broadly, okay? And the first thing we want to look at is that the Holy Spirit transforms us through setting us free. 
The Holy Spirit transforms us through setting us free. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We were once, in other words, under the law of sin and death. We were bound to its authority, its machinery, if you will. But the law of the spirit of life, a new operative principle in our lives, has undone the old one and done away with it entirely. And now we live bound to the authority and the work of the Holy Spirit. In verses 3 and 4, Paul explains that because the law couldn't free us from sin, Jesus died so that the law's requirements might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. And then he says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verses 7 and 8 then explain that the flesh is hopelessly rebellious. It cannot submit to God's law. It cannot please God. Verse 9, You, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So having the Spirit of God means the freedom in the Spirit to please God. That is freedom from sin, from sin and its power and how it operates. And there is also then freedom from death, not from dying, but from death. Verse 10 But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So look, because you have the spirit of life, you are free from the powers of sin. And you are free from the frightening prospects of death. Even if this mortal body has to die because of sin, the Spirit of God will raise us one day. We have that guarantee. We have that promise. And we know that because He dwells within us. He will one day give our bodies life again. And so the Holy Spirit transforms us by setting us free from sin and its power and all of its operating principles. And instead, we have the spirit of life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit transforms us through strengthening us. He transforms us through strengthening us. In this life, between our conversion, when we give first faith, when we first believe in the gospel, and our final redemption, While we wait for Jesus' return and our final deliverance, we are sustained by strength that the Holy Spirit gives us. There are a number of passages that encourage us in this way. Galatians 5.5, for example, 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, don't miss this. Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Again, the hope of righteousness is not wishful thinking that someday righteousness will come, that someday we will be fully righteous. This hope of righteousness is the promise of righteousness. It's that guarantee. So what he's saying is we're eagerly waiting for that thing that God has promised us that we know he's going to do. How do we do that? In between, by faith, through the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to wait with assurance in God's reign of righteousness, that He will do so, that there will be real justice and real righteousness one day. The kingdom, we wait for it through the Spirit. He sustains us. He strengthens us. We also find in Ephesians chapter 3, that Paul prays for this very thing, that we will be strengthened by the Spirit who dwells within us. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables us to grasp this the great magnitude of Jesus' love for us. And it is being rooted and grounded in Christ's love that produces a life filled with all the fullness of God, even now. That is a transformative work of the Spirit in our hearts, in our lives. He is at work empowering us rooting us and grounding us as we can just begin to grasp how much Jesus loves us. Romans chapter 5, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes something similar here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, here's what he means by this. Suffering produces this chain of transformation in our lives. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And this hope, again, is an unshakable confidence in final transformation. This hope is unshakable because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, because God has given us His Spirit, we experience His love for us. We know His love for us. And it is His love for us 
which makes us confident in our hope. And it is that confidence in that hope that enables us to endure suffering now. The Holy Spirit then also strengthens us by interceding for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, how fantastic is this? The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But we are weak, and and what he means, though, is because we are waiting for our final salvation, for our salvation to be completed, we are in weakness. Our mortal condition makes can make our prayers skewed sometimes. Sometimes we don't even know what we ought to be praying. Sometimes we pray for the wrong things. The Spirit dwelling within us helps us. He intercedes for us. He takes up our prayers and even prays on our behalf what we ought to be praying for ourselves. He prays what we do not know to pray or how to pray. Verse 27, he who searches hearts, that's God. God is the one who searches hearts. God is is the one who knows what is in the mind and the heart of each of us, every human being who has ever lived from beginning to end. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. This is part of that work of the Trinity where the triune Godhead knows all of the same things, which is everything. And he knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. Perfect prayers on your behalf. So if you're a believer, then you, listen, you've known this comfort and this strength. And if I were to, to ask you and give each of you an opportunity to share, you would share that in times of suffering and in times of doubt, you have known this sustaining work of the Spirit. It may even be that you haven't been able to explain it at times, but you know God's presence. You know God's comfort in those times. That is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is ministering to you. He's strengthening you, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of weakness. That's good. That's good to know. The Holy Spirit transforms us through strengthening us. He strengthens us. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit transforms us through spiritual gifts. He transforms us through spiritual gifts. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul goes on to list a number of gifts. Tongues, prophecies, words of wisdom, service, 
teaching. He goes on to list a, a good number of gifts. And I know that some of you are curious about these gifts, what they are. Are they for today? That is one point of controversy in evangelical Christianity. And I've mentioned that sometimes we differ with Pentecostal theology. The use of the gifts and the expectations surrounding these gifts are one of those differences that we have in some ways, depending on where someone is on the spectrum of Pentecostalism. But in any case, we want to know what our gifts are and how we can use them. Those are all great questions. But that would be really another topic, another sermon altogether, because regardless of what each of these gifts are, Paul focuses on, and what I want you to see in verse 7, is that every manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You have been given a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. But your spiritual gift is not for you. It is for the good of others. It's for everyone else. In other words, God uses your gifts, watch, He uses your gifts to transform other people's lives. And He uses their gifts to transform your life. And that's why I've included the spiritual gifts under transformation and not under the inclusion or making us God's people. We are baptized in the Spirit. We are made part of Christ's body by being immersed all in the same Spirit and therefore in the same body. But these gifts in and of themselves are not, about, are not for me. My giftedness is not for me. Your giftedness is not for you. They are actually tools or instruments in the Holy Spirit's hands to work transformation in other people's lives. In fact, Paul will go on from chapter 12 into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is about love. Love. Love is superior. And part of Paul's point in that whole passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13 is to make the point that it doesn't matter how gifted we are if we don't love each other. It doesn't matter how sensational the manifestations of the Spirit are if we don't love each other. And then in chapter 14, he's going to return to two particular gifts and their use in the body, prophecy and tongues. And his whole argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that these gifts exist for the edifying of the body, the building up of the body of Christ. And if you can't use the gifts, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you don't use the gifts in a way that edify the body, then they ought not to be used. That's his argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So these gifts then are given to each of us for the purpose of this work of transformation in other people's lives. The Holy Spirit is transforming me through your giftedness, whatever those gifts may be. Now in chapter 12, Paul goes on to explain that all of these gifts are empowered by the Spirit. And they are distributed by the Spirit because we've all been baptized into the same Spirit and drunk of one Spirit, which means we've all received the same Spirit. 
And he adds then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here you have it. If one member suffers, then they all suffer. If one member is honored, then they all rejoice together. There is a oneness and a mutual care because of the gifts. They are meant for others, never for ourselves. And the Holy Spirit transforms us through the use of these gifts in other people's lives and uses you and your giftedness to transform other people's lives. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit transforms us through the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit transforms us through the Scriptures, the written Word. We know from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and following, that the Scriptures are a lamp shining in a dark place, and that we are to give our attention to them until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. That's the day of redemption. That's what Peter's talking about. And he says this, because no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word carried is the same word we, is the Greek word for fairy. Our fairies, like our Washington State fairies that carry you across the water from the mainland to the peninsula or to an island. So the Holy Spirit ferries along. He carries along the prophets, men who spoke from God. Well, listen, this is why the Bible is a divine text. Its words are the words of God the Spirit who has produced Scripture through human authors. No wonder Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says that the Word of God is living and active. Now, Paul takes this same truth, and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to spur Timothy on in his ministry. And he has this to say about the scriptures and their role. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now this breathed out by God is a metaphor, of course. God does not actually breathe. He doesn't take in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. That's for creatures, not for the Creator. God is spirit. He doesn't breathe. But I'll remind you from our studies early on about the Holy Spirit that the word for breathe is the same word for spirit. And Paul here is highlighting the spirit origin of Scripture. When he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, he is saying that in the same way that you and I breathe out 
breath that God's Spirit goes forth in the the birth of Scripture, in the writing of the Scriptures. That this is what was happening as the Spirit carried them along. The men who spoke from God. The Holy Spirit is breathing out God's words. And notice how the Spirit's words transform us. They are profitable, valuable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Spirit takes the words of the text and He actively works on my heart and on your heart. He works on our minds and hearts. He works on our understanding and our will to change us to form us into the image of Christ, to grow us spiritually. And so the scriptures, and this is why this is why one of the basics of the Christian life is always read your Bible, right? If you talk about the Christian disciplines, we always put read your Bible at the top. Read your Bible, pray, fast, and fellowship. Go to church. These are the things that we talk about as spiritual disciplines. Why is reading your Bible so important? is because it is God's divine word. And it isn't just that it sits on a shelf and is a record of what God has done. It is living and active. It has been breathed out by God. And the Holy Spirit works through the scriptures to empower, to comfort, to to change, to convict. All of those things come through the word of God. So, The Holy Spirit uses the written word or transforms us through the scriptures. Now, furthermore, the scriptures are necessary for spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we are pitched in battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he tells us to stand firm by taking up the whole armor of God, the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and lastly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Word of God is a sword because it is a weapon of precision. In other words, it it matters how you handle it. It speaks directly, not just in broad truths, but explains and reveals God's Word in God's mind and will in detail. It is the sword of the Spirit because its origin is the Holy Spirit. Listen, In a time of great turbulence, and we're talking in our culture, we're talking, you know, beginning the year with a possible impeachment. We're talking a move into a a deadly virus globally, the coronavirus. We're talking about in the last two to three weeks, um, great civil unrest here in our country and even within the church. And yet in the midst of all of that, Remember that human beings are not our enemies. 
government systems in and of themselves are not our enemies. Our governors, our presidents, our local authorities are not our enemies. Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is our enemy. Listen, we're at war, all right. It's a spiritual war. It's a battle. It's a war for the souls of men and women. And we are to stand firm. And the armor is incomplete without taking up the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? God's Word is a sword. It's a weapon of precision. And it is the Holy Spirit who not only has has spoken the Scriptures and given us the Scriptures and superintended their, their writing, but it is the Holy Spirit who trains us to use it. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to wield the sword of the Spirit. Well, we have one other point to cover here, but I really want to give it some special attention, and that is that the Holy Spirit transforms us through our participation. This isn't just a work of the Spirit in us, this sanctifying work, this work of holiness. It requires something of us. We are called to follow, we are called to obey. And the Holy Spirit, or the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, uses two key phrases in the New Testament to describe this, and these are found in two key passages. And that's what we're going to look at next time. We're going to look at walking in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and what it means to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. But this week, as you think about this, these studies on the Holy Spirit, and as we anticipate in short order coming back together as a church, I want you to be thinking along about what it means to be holy, to walk in holiness, to know that the Holy Spirit is in, dwelling within you and is doing a work of transformation in each of us. What is it that the Holy Spirit is calling you and working on your heart to change? What is it that you need to turn from? What is it that you need to think differently about? We want to approach that prayerfully. And remember, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you will give you the power and the ability and the insight to work on those things. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we, we think about the wonder of what it means for your Spirit to dwell within us, We long for this work of transformation. We long to be a holy people. Lord, help us to rely upon you. Help us to be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in our lives, convicting of us, correcting and reproving through the Scriptures, teaching us through His Word, that we might be faithful, that we might have right priorities, that we might not lose sight of the kingdom and the mission. Lord, that we would be your people who are light in the darkness and salt in the earth. Lord, we we could never praise you enough for how you are close to us through the indwelling of your spirit. We are comforted even today, and we worship you and love you. 
In your name we proclaim these things. Amen.